0: So I won't. Nah, I will. Welcome again. Uh, it's good to be with you. Um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to come to the Word of God now uh, and see what our God would say to us through the Bible. Uh, and so, would you jo- join me before we do that in, in praying together? Um, Jesus, through the Spirit of God, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. Uh, that throughout years, you would be speaking into our hearts the truths of the gospel that lead us to be transformed, that lead us to be more like you. Uh, yeah, Lord, we pray that we would grow in our view of our Saviour today and that as we see you more clearly, we would be changed to be more like you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, it's the uh, uh, first week of the year, as, you, as you're probably aware, unless you've really got disorientated, in which case I need to change into nursing mode here. but. Um, uh, and after, after finishing our Christmas series a couple of weeks ago and then having our little one-week New Year's hiatus, uh, we are moving into a kind of a one-off sermon here. Uh, we're not doing our Luke series. Uh, I decided today would be a good time for us to step into John chapter 13. Um, in John 13, we get a glimpse of a huge moment in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, And it's important that we understand, uh, especially as we just jump into this today, where what we're looking at happens in the context of John's gospel, in the context of Jesus' life. Most Christians will be familiar with these words, love one another as I have loved you. They actually happen twice from the lips of Jesus in just a couple of chapters uh, on one evening of his life. But do you know what's happening to Jesus as he speaks these words? Uh, Where are we in in the timeline of his ministry? There you go, someone said that. But um, this passage stands at this really pivotal moment. In chapter 12, the story, which had been spread over a really long period of time, started to kind of focus in. At the beginning of that chapter, uh, we read that it was six days before the Passover on which Jesus died. And by the beginning of chapter 13, we have reached the night before the death of Jesus. John is kind of counting down to the climactic moment of the ministry of Jesus, slowing down as he approaches it, revealing its importance, uh, the importance of this coming moment as he focuses and grows and grows in detail of what he's telling us. You know, chapter 1 to 11 covers like, Years, years and years. Uh, chapter 12 covers a week. Chapter 13 to the end of chapter 19, roughly 24 hours. Right. So John is emphasising this, and, and the climax of that is the death of Jesus on the cross, followed, of course, by the resurrection of Jesus in chapter 20. But where our passage starts this morning Uh, Something significant, really significant, has just happened. And as we read this passage and these chapters, uh, we should see that there is a real sense of urgent significance to what's being said. And I've just realised that I had this illustrative thing that I was going to do with you and I've left it back behind the bar here. So being the deeply professional mob that we are. uh, I do have a microphone with me, so you can just turn around if you want. Uh, No, I'll come back to the front. I will. I will. We can cut this out of the recording, right Mark? Thanks. It's funny because I've used this illustration before and last time I did it, I left this at home. Uh, (laughs) so It never goes well for me. I should give up and get behind the right music stand. Um, Do you know what this is? Uh, It it looks like a macaron, doesn't it? It's not a macaron. Uh, It's an egg timer. uh, yeah, we've got an neat timer that looks like a macaron. It's the only one we've got. Uh, the macaron of it is really insignificant to what I'm going to say here. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a wind-up timer that counts down to a specific moment. So you, you wind it up and then it counts down and then Yep, yeah, the point, I'm sure. Uh, at the beginning of chapter 13, it's like the timer starts to be wound up. You know, uh, we read that the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas to betray Jesus at the beginning of chapter 13. Then in verse 10, after Jesus had washed the feet of his disciples, he said, You're clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. Then in verse 21, Jesus predicted the the coming betrayal again. And all this is like it's winding up, right, to this sequence of events that's going to start. And in verse 26, he specifically indicates that it was Judas who's going to betray him. And all this time, the time is winding, ready for the final countdown of events. And then in verse 30, the verse before our passage today, John writes, After receiving the morsel of bread, he, Judas that is, uh, immediately went out and it was night. And after Jesus Jesus had predicted that that Judas would betray him, immediately Judas went to do it. And those words there at the end of verse 30, And it was night seemed to carry both a a physical and a a kind of spiritual, symbolic weight. Judas was gone and and darkness was there. Darkness of what was about to happen had set in. And at that moment, uh, it's like the egg timer is fully wound and and it starts ticking. And and we're in the final urgent stretch of events, counting down to the cross. And, And no matter what happens from here on in, In less than 24 hours, Jesus will be dead. The time will go off. And so what Jesus says next should be read uh, in the weight of this moment. The weight of being the beginning of his final teaching with his disciples before his death. It's spoken with the cross in extremely near view. And we're going to see two big things that dive out of this passage at us. First, we'll see the glory of God in the love of Jesus. And then second, we'll be called to display the glory of Jesus in the love of his people. So jump into this with me. uh, And we're going to read those first few verses uh, from verse 31 of John 13. When he'd gone out, uh, once again pointing out what's just happened with Judas, by the way, uh, that he's left. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Now, let's just acknowledge off the bat that there is a confusing amount of glorifying in those short couple of verses. Uh, (laughs) Understand what Jesus is saying here. We first need to see what glory is. Um. In John's Gospel, and and in reality as well, by the way, to make God known as he is, is to glorify God. Let me illustrate how that works. Um, Often celebrities, celebrities that we like specifically, seem pretty glorious and even give the impression that the more that you knew about them, the more glorious they would be. Um, Take Keanu Reeves, for instance. Do you guys know Keanu um, yeah, yeah, him. That one. I mean, that was in a movie, it must be said. Uh, but he's an actor. He's famous for movies like The Matrix, John Wick, and who could forget Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh, but Keanu, Keanu has a bit of a rep, uh, if you run across him online, for being really decent to people. A brief search for Keanu Reeves will bring up anonymously taken phone videos of him giving his seat to people on a train because they were carrying a bag and he wasn't. Uh, or or, or anecdotes about the numerous films in which he's decided to take a significant pay cut so that other people can get paid more on set when he's the lead actor. You know, on the whole, on a brief assessment, Keanu Reeves seems like a pretty nice guy, does not he? Forgive him the hair, he's a nice guy. Uh, He's a guy who might give you the impression that the more that you knew about him, the more glorious he would seem the better he would be, the more seats he would have offered, the more compliments he would have paid to to random people, the more financial sacrifices he would have gone through for the sake of others. Well, it's a similar principle to the link between God being made known and God being glorified in John's Gospel, with with only the one very significant (laughs) distinction there, that uh, (laughs) if you knew everything that there was to know about Keanu Reeves, uh, if you thought he was going to be good, some of you might not like the guy, but uh, if you thought he was going to be, be good, you'd be d- bitterly disappointed, I'm, I'm sorry to say. Whereas God is just as glorious, in fact, more glorious than he seems. And the more that you know of go- God, the more glorious he is to you. And the more we're led to glorify him. So when we read those words from Jesus, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him we need to understand that it means the moments here when Jesus is going to make God's character known He's going to reveal who God is to the world and so God will be glorified back, right back in actually John chapter 1 verse 18 John told us why Jesus came into the world he said no one's ever seen God the only God who is at the father's side Jesus that is he has made him Known. He came to make him known. And now the moment that that looked forward to is here. Jesus is about to glorify God, to make him known. And the way he's going to do that is through the cross. The cross, the, the bloody death of Jesus, surprisingly is the central moment of glory in John's Gospel. Of course, Jesus glorified God in everything he did but all of it kind of leads into this one pivotal moment of glory. And it's pretty evident if if you read this book, like just a chapter earlier in John 12, verse 27, Jesus prayed that God would glorify his name when Jesus was lifted up to die. So the lifting up of Jesus on the cross is the primary moment when Jesus completes his mission, makes God known, and so God and God the Son, and God the Father are glorified. So what Jesus is saying here is the moment has come. I'm going to make the one who sent me known, and he will be glorified as he's made known. And of course, Jesus too will be glorified, because he will be living out the character of the one who sent him into the world, of his Father. Uh, And what does the cross show us about God that is so glorious? It's it's an odd little concept, isn't it, that you nail someone to a piece of wood and there is glory there. Well, actually, the cross shows us a whole lot about God that is glorious. But the main thing in view here in John 13 is that it shows us how glorious God is in love towards his people. At the beginning of this chapter, verse 1, John explained everything that Jesus had done and was going to do. He said, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, that is, when he knew that the cross was just about to happen, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus went to the cross to lovingly save his people. We'll give that a sec. Well, why don't we pray for two seconds then get back into this. Um, Jesus, we don't know what's going on there, um, but lights and sirens mean it's something serious. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would watch over that situation, uh, that you would bring honor to your name in it, and that you would give mercy to the, the person who's going to ride in the back of that ambulance, um, that you give wisdom to the clinicians who are working with them, uh, and that you would put a gospel person in that situation pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's going to sound funny on the recording, in it? Anyway, it's worth it. Jesus went to the cross to lovingly save his people. To lovingly defeat our sin and to lovingly bring us to God. That's why he says at the start of the next chapter, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and thank you to be with me, that where I am, you may be also. And so we see that that Jesus' great motive is to bring glory to God. And the way he does that is by loving God's people relentlessly, loving them to the end, to the point of dying for them. And so the glory of God is revealed in the love of Jesus for his people. That's important because what comes next, which are the more well-known verses of this passage, really builds on that idea. Read again with me uh, from verse 33. Jesus again reinforces what is about to happen. Little children, he says. Yeah, it's fun, like that, that Greek word there uh, appears only here in John's Gospel. Uh, and it's an affectionate word. You could, you could translate it as my dear children. Jesus loves the people he's talking to, not just in a not just in a big acts way, but in a the affectionate little things of life way. He loves us, my dear children. Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. He's going to the cross. He's going to die for the sins of his people. And he's going to the Father after the resurrection. But, but in light of the fact that he is leaving now and in light of how he's going to do that by dying in love for his people and so glorifying the Father, he says this in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus commands his people. That if you're a Christian, that's you. Love one another. This is a specific command to love your Christian brothers and sisters, to actively love them. And let's be clear, that's not to say that we shouldn't love anyone else. You know, Jesus elsewhere commands us, love your neighbour, even love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The fact that Jesus is commanding his people to love each other isn't even new actually um, in in some ways the command for god's people to love each other comes up in the old testament in the law but still jesus says here that this is a a new commandment so we must ask what's new about what's being said here well in the words just as i have loved you we find a new model for love and a new motive for love just as I have loved you means that Christians are called to show the love for each other that their Saviour has shown to them. That's pretty huge. And just as I have loved you reminds us of how much love we have received from Jesus, equipping us to show love. You know, It's important that you get that it's a motive and a model. If you just took it as a model, then you wouldn't be able to do it. But if you see the weight of love you're receiving in every single moment, that drives you to love your Christian brothers and sisters relentlessly as you have been loved. In fact, the, the love of Jesus gives us a growing motivation uh, for how we are uh, for, for loving our brothers and sisters. Uh, what I mean is, when, when we first come to saving faith in Jesus, uh, really what you've run into there is that you've experienced that the love of God has bridged a chasm that you couldn't bridge. God's holy, I'm a sinner, and Jesus crossed the gap with the cross. But as we grow as Christians, our experience should be, at least, that uh, we see that the gap was greater than we ever realized it was. I wonder if that's your experience. As we go on living a life that turns from sin and turns to God repenting that is we see that what we thought was the full extent of my sin when i was saved was merely the tip of an iceberg and and likewise as we go on reading the bible and hearing the word preached and spoken into our lives by brothers and sisters we begin to see more of who god is and we realize god is more holy more high above me than we could ever have imagined right and as a result, we see the love of God displayed more and more in the saving work of Jesus. It's, it's bigger and bigger. Not that it is any bigger than it was originally, but it looks bigger to us because we begin to see it as it is. Because we begin to see the, the depth of the chasm that it crossed. We know that God knew the full extent of that chasm when he chose to die for us. So Christians, Jesus is calling us to live with love toward each other that is increasingly modelled on his love for us and increasingly motivated by his love for us as we continue to grow in our view of his love. Now that doesn't mean that our love saves anyone, we must say. Uh, We love like Jesus, but our love is not an atoning sacrifice for sin, that's just him. But our love reflects the love of our Saviour. Just like Jesus loved those he had in the world and loved them to the end, so we, so I, so you, are to love those who belong to Jesus in this world and love them to the end. We are to love them in everything and we are to love them to the point of dying for them. These are Heavy words we deal with here today. Glorious words. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. And this doesn't just mean that we die for each other. You know. It's not like you kind of coast along in life to do your normal thing until there is a life and death chance to love my brother or sister and, and then boom, you know, I die for them and job done. Uh, No, this is a call to love in every way up to and including dying for one another. This means that we love each other in the small ways just as much as in the big ways. Caring enough to make contact with each other, especially with those who are lonely and separated from community. Having your brothers and sisters in your home, around your table, caring for them when they're sick, visiting them when they're in hospital, Cooking a meal from them for them when they have a new child. I, I, well, there you go. Um, <laughs> and everything we can do up to dying for them. You know, in Philippians 2, Paul writes about a guy named Epaphroditus who risked his life to visit Paul in prison. You know, not, to, not to rescue him from prison, just to visit him. Do we love like that? But there's there's one more, there's one more really actually vital thing that we need to see about the love that Jesus calls us to here. And and if we don't get this, then we miss the point uh, of the whole passage, in fact. Read this with me, that, that last verse. Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This new command gives us a new love that has a new purpose. The purpose of our Jesus motivated, Jesus modeled love is captured in those words. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Now, if there's one thing in this passage that I think we tend to miss or to to misinterpret when we read it, it's this. Often, Often Christians in the past have functionally read this passage as though it says this. By this, you will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, we read it as a confirming passage. We read it like our love for one another is for the purpose of confirming my faith. I'm a genuine Christian. Of course I am, because I love my brothers and sisters. If you want to know if you're a Christian, you, you, you should love them, right? But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. That means that this is how the world identifies us with our saviour with the one who sent us with jesus by our love for each other it means that our love for one another is is key to how we make jesus known to the world around us or to say it in in the general language language of john's gospel it's how we glorify him and you see what's going on here jesus reveals the glory of god in his display of God's love for his people, in the same way we reveal the glory of Jesus and by extension the glory of the Father in our display of his love toward his people. Other people love, by the way. Uh, Christians don't have a corner on being the ones who are capable of loving. But, but not with a love that is motivated and modelled on the perfect love that Jesus has given us. We have a better motivation for love and a better model for love than anyone in the world. We have the perfect son of God who would die in love for us to reveal his father's glory to us, to make us adopted children of God. And so the purpose of our love is that Jesus would be made known to the world. That they would look at the love that the church has, the love of the dear children of God, a family that has been brought close together by the blood of their brother, Jesus. Love that sacrifices for brothers and sisters and that they would be dumbstruck by it and just have to ask, where does this love come from? We've never seen love like that anywhere. We've never seen love that would step over that boundary to love which we of course joyfully respond this is a taste of the love that jesus has shown to us when he died to save us showing us what true love is showing us who the true god is and it could be your love too if you would believe so let me ask you and and, and this is a question for all of us, and it's a space to grow for all of us, I am quite sure. Is that the kind of love that you have for those around you? Go on, look at them. If you're visiting our church this week, you're gonna look at a bunch of people that you may never see again. Yeah, well, just imagine the people who go to your church, if you go to a church at all. Would you sacrifice for these people? for those God has declared to be your very family by the blood of Jesus, and not just the ones with the capacity to love you back, right? It's very easy to love some people. But the hard ones, the socially awkward ones, the ones with mental health problems, the ones who have nothing to give, would you lay down your life for them? Would you lay down your time for them? Would you lay down your money for them financially? Would you... Would you say, what's mine is yours because of the love that I have received from Jesus and I'll care for you? Would you open your home and your table to them? Would you love them enough to make time in your life for them? To give up that that activity in your week that you enjoy doing, but it means that you don't have time for God's people in your life. Would you lay down your life for them? The purpose of our love church is that the world might see a glimpse of Jesus that they might glimpse his glory and need to know whose glorious love this is the purpose is that the world would look and know that the love of the people of God could be motivated and defined by nothing other than the greatest love that has ever been and so they catch a glimpse of the good news lived out and we stand ready to explain that good news to them before i finish today i want to i want to bring this into a specific thing Um, (laughs) i want to make this one more comment perhaps it's obvious but here it is this love that's meant to show the world the glory of jesus can't just happen on a sunday increasingly We live in a culture where someone who doesn't know Jesus isn't just going to stroll through those doors, no matter how much we look like a pub. Um, This this requires that we be loving each other outside of these walls, in the everyday stuff of our lives, visible to the world. Uh, I'm not talking about posting your acts of love on Instagram uh, for likes. I mean loving each other daily, tangibly. And also that we are willing to share our testimony of love that we've received. When when your colleague or your classmate or your neighbours see you and talk to you, do they hear about the love that you receive from brothers and sisters? It's okay to do that. You know, if I speak to, to other young parents, who are struggling with the sleeplessness and the general parenting life every parent does, as far as I can tell, I can honestly say to them, I just don't know how I'd do it. Without the love that I've received from Jesus and without the love and the care of the church he's placed around me, I just I just don't know how I'd get through. You know, in, in a month, like we've said already in this service, uh, roughly the beginning of Term 1, we as, we as a church, we're going to start launching this th- new thing called Gospel Communities. Um, if you've been here a while, you know that that's been in the works for a long time, but Gospel Communities are one critical way that we're seeking to live this out as a church. They've been, in my mind, conspicuously absent from our church for more than a year and a half now. And from Robin Redding's mind, by the look she just gave me. Um, they're going to be sort of like a home group, but one of our main aims for them is that they're not just an insular, uh, brain-only little Bible study group, where we go and learn some new stuff, and then we go home and we live the same. Yeah. These groups will be a context in which to practice real, genuine love for each other. We're envisaging them as a your point of first contact in the church if you need help you go to your brothers and sisters in your bo- gospel community. You're sick? By all means, call me, by the way, uh, even if I'm not your gospel community leader. But but first point of contact, get in touch with your gospel community, these brothers and sisters that God has placed in your life to show the love of Jesus to you. Not, not just a place to be a caring community, though, also a place where we bring the truth of Jesus, the truth of the love of our Saviour into each other's lives, with power to transform. And not just that, a place where we seek to create contexts in which people from outside the church can be exposed to a community of believers, not just one believer at a time, but a group of them. As we love each other, and them, and as we experience the joy of Jesus in community, so that, like Jesus says they will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. That the proof would be in the pudding, so to speak. Let me encourage you, when we start those up, get involved. Take it as an immense opportunity to grow in living out the life that Jesus has called us to. And no one has a geographical excuse anymore because we've got one in Brentwood, one in Millicent and one in Maitland. Let me encourage you, in the meantime don't wait till that starts up to love one another seek out the opportunities here now this week i literally said to four people well i will have to sit down and pray with you after the service today i don't think i said have to i hope i didn't Uh, (laughs) there are some amazing opportunities to love one another here to care for the community that god's put around you i was speaking to a to a a christian friend a, a good while back now Uh, He's not from around here, um, about his mum. She's 85. I'm going to finish by sharing this one with you today. Um, She's in a nursing home. She's not in good health, or she wasn't at the time. Uh, I'm not sure what she's up to now. She might be with Jesus now. But he told me about how people from her church, from their church, uh, would persistently visit her in her nursing home. They, they, They were there all the time. They would come in every Sunday and worship with her, different people each Sunday, eat with her in her nursing home, talk with her in her nursing home. And that every time he went to visit her, the staff were just kind of in wonder. They're like, how many visitors she gets? You know, most people in nursing homes, this is a sad reality, don't get visited, or at least not frequently. And yet here was this woman who this wave of community was coming to visit all the time. What, a, what an opportunity, right? When he walks in that place and they say, she gets so many visitors for him to say, let me tell you about the love that causes that. Let me tell you about the love that they've received that causes to love her so much. You know, let's look to the love that we've received from Jesus and live it out for his people so that he would be glorified. Isn't that what we want, at church? Would you pray with me? Jesus, even as I speak the words, I know my weakness. I am not sufficient, not strong, not not well practiced in the day-to-day rhythms of loving my brothers and sisters. Not as I should be, not as you love me. I pray for us as a church, for me as a man, for us as a people that we would be the body of Christ, that we would be the family of God and that we would live that in God-glorifying love for one another. i pray over our gospel communities when they start up that you would use them as context for genuine love, that the relationships we build in them would not stay in them uh, but would be... uh, relationships of life, and of love in the day-to-day things of life. That they would be, bring glory to you. We pray for contexts, Lord, in which to love one another in the midst of the world, in the presence of those who don't know you and don't know your love, and that that would spark the questions of your great love, where this love comes from bring people, that it would be an instrument in your spirit's hand to bring people to faith in Jesus. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, We're going to share around the table. um, When I say the table, I actually mean the bar. uh, Christians, we use funny words like that, don't we? Um, But we're going to go for communion now. And, and what a fantastic opportunity to remember the love that we've received. The broken body of our Lord, the poured out blood given for us to bring us into a new covenant, into a new relationship with God. So I encourage you as, as ready. Um, up on the bar here, we have a couple of stations. Please try not to crowd them for the sake of COVID-safeness. But um, yeah, take the bread, take the juice. Remember that Jesus died to rescue you out of your sin and be motivated by His great love for you. Please, as you're ready.